0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, introduce that person to someone whose story touches their heart and just might change their life, leaving them with the mantra, if she can do it, I can do it october is breast cancer awareness month so we're profiling breast cancer survivors along with women who are at the forefront of breast cancer treatment in the spotlight a woman i have wanted to interview for many many years so i guess i can check this off my bucket list i'm going to guess that one of her books is sitting on your bookshelf or perhaps it's on the end table next to your favorite cozy chair she is alice hoffman author of more than 30 works of fiction, including novels and young adult and children's books, short stories, nonfiction, and yes, six of her books have been made into films, including Practical Magic, starring Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Her work has been published in more than 20 languages, and she's pretty accustomed to seeing her name on the New York Times bestseller list. But what she was not prepared for, more than 15 years ago, at about the age of 45, was a breast cancer diagnosis. Alice, thank you so much for agreeing to tell your story on
2: our show. Oh, thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it.
1: I have read that in your life, up until this moment, and up until the moment that you got your diagnosis, you had always been the caregiver, the confidant, the nurturer of the people in your life.
2: You know, I never, ever imagined that I would be the person that got a diagnosis of cancer, ever.
1: I guess your mom was in the middle of fighting her own battle with breast yes. cancer when you found your lump. Yes. Let's go back to that.
2: It's really interesting. My well, my sister-in-law had just had glioblastema, and then my mother-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then actually I was on the Oprah show. And I came home. My book was an Oprah book club choice, which I was so thrilled about. I came home. And the day I came home, I took a shower. And for some reason, I did a self-examination, which I had never done before. And I found a lump.
1: What did you do at that very moment? Do you remember?
2: Well, I thought, this must be a mistake, but I'm going to go see a doctor, just in case. Went for a mammogram. They said, I'm sure this is nothing. And I was sure it was nothing, too. Luckily for me, I had my treatment at Man Auburn Hospital, and they were fantastic. My doctor was Dr. Susan Porres, who's an amazing breast surgeon. For me, the story turned out to be a good one, but I learned a lot during this experience.
1: You had two young sons of your own at this time, didn't you?
2: I did, yeah. Tell
1: me what that was like, because I think as moms, you give birth to kids, or they're handed to you through adoption, and... They're your first priority. So really, you're thinking, oh, my God, I know, I can't be sick. I have two children to take care of. Take me back.
2: Well, you know, it's funny because recently I found letters that I wrote to them just in case I didn't make it. And I recently tore them up because I thought they don't need those letters anymore. You know, I wanted to protect them mostly, which looking back on it was probably a mistake. You know, I was raised very old school where people kept everything a secret. And I remember growing up, my best friend's mother had breast cancer. She went in for surgery and my best friend didn't even know. They didn't tell her. They never told her. I think I grew up with this feeling like, you know, cancer is a secret and I've learned that you know, we have to tell our own stories. It's really important. So for me, it was really a learning experience about being more vocal and not having to feel like I had to keep everything a secret.
1: You know, you're talking about years and years ago, and I wanted to share with you that I lost my mom to breast cancer when yeah. I was a teenager. I'm sorry, and this was decades ago, Alice. When they never said the word breast cancer, right. they just called it the C word, like the big you know, C. the big C. Yeah, right. What were your kids' reactions? when you told them?
2: I think they blocked the whole thing. I mean, I really think that they just really didn't take it as what it was. The other thing is we had just lost somebody who they were very close to, their aunt. I think that was one of the reasons I kept it kind of secret, because I didn't want them to feel like what happened to Joanne was now going to happen to their mother.
1: I'm going to guess that your mom (laughs) was more worried about you when she found out about your diagnosis than you were worried about yourself.
2: Actually. I think I was more like my mother's mother. We had that kind of relationship. She's a very, like, happy-go-lucky person. She just thought everything was going to be fine, period. And she did turn out to be fine. Uh, It was very interesting that we both went through it at the same time.
1: How did you make it through some of your darkest hours? What pulled you through to the other side?
2: So many things that I didn't expect. So many small things. And actually, afterwards, I wrote a book about it called Survival Lessons. It was kind of the book I wished I had gotten. Just really small things, being with friends, going on a vacation, sitting in the sun, spending time with my children— you know, the biggest thing was writing. It was my escape. Just the way reading had been my escape growing up, writing was my escape.
1: Sometimes when you
2: go through any
1: kind of cancer treatment or any sort of debilitating disease, you're just so tired that you can't do much of anything. So what you're saying is what a blessing you were able to continue to write.
2: Oh, I was. I was every time, every radiation session, every chemotherapy session, I was kind of inside of a book, plotting out a book. I slept in my office, I moved a mattress in my office, and I I didn't work as much as I did, but I was able to, for a couple of hours, just kind of escape into a book.
1: Did you have chemo and radiation on top of your surgery?
2: Yeah, I did.
1: Because, you know, they say you get chemo brain. So if you were were you prolific, were you
2: able to write really well? I was. I don't know how well, but I wrote a book. I do feel like I've been affected ever since. Or maybe that's aging. I don't know. But writing comes from a different place. You know, it's not like you have to think it out carefully. Like I wasn't an accountant. I could go to this dreamy place.
1: After your recovery, you continued to go and talk to breast cancer groups. And I read somewhere that you were kind of standing there one day and saying, I should have a book on top of just being able to talk to people about my experience. And so let's go back to survival lessons just for one moment. There's a quote in there that I love the most, which is, in the darkest hour, the roses still bloom, the stars still come out at night.
2: I know. I felt like I could see beauty then. The funny thing is, when you're sick, you really appreciate every day. I think when people are fighting for their lives, they appreciate every single thing, every star, every rose. The book is
1: also about forgiveness. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think forgiveness is a major thing. And I personally have a lot of difficulty with it. It doesn't come easily to me. I hold a grudge. I get very wounded and very hurt. Get out of here. You do? You hold a grudge? Well, I think I get so wounded. It's very hard for me to forgive. And I think when I was going through the process and through the treatment, I felt like, you know, really, that doesn't really matter all of those things that happened to you or things people did to you, in the long run, it doesn't really matter. You used advances from
1: survival lessons to found the Hoffman Breast Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and you continue to fund the center. And I guess, Alice, what I want to know is that must be really satisfying for you to be able to use your gifts, to write a book, and to know that you're actually helping to fund the Breast Center.
2: When I was done with my treatment, I was in such awe of the people who fought the fought every day, the doctors and nurses and technicians, and I wanted to do something. And when I spoke to a couple of the doctors, they said, really, the best thing is to do something locally that will make the biggest impact. So I helped them to start the Hoffman Breast Center at Man Auburn. It's an amazing place. No woman is ever turned away, no matter what her circumstances are. And I just think people get such great care there and such personal care there. And I think that really matters when you're going through something like cancer.
1: You know, before having you come and join me on the show, I, I kind of took a deep dive into the Hoffman Breast Center. And what I keep hearing about is individualized compassionate yes. care.
2: Yes, it's completely true. I'm Beth Roy is there. She's the social worker and she has groups and works with people. You really don't feel like you're alone when you're there. And you feel like people know what's happening to you, where I think it's some bigger institutions you're kind of like get lost and no one is checking up on you. It, it doesn't feel like anyone cares. And here people really care about you as a person, not just as a patient, but as a person.
1: When you walk in as well, it's all under one roof. You don't have to go far right. to receive all the services that right. that you need. I'm going to guess that there have been women who have come over to you and said your book, Survival Lessons, meant so much to them. What do they say?
2: It's really important to me and it makes me feel like my work is worth doing. And I have had so many women come up to me and say, I had my treatment at Mount Auburn and my treatment was great. And that means so much to me also.
1: I want to step into your writing because we have so many things to talk about. I know that you were first published at only 21, but storytelling has probably been a part of who you are your entire life. So I'm wondering if you can go way back to the very first story you ever
0: wrote. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmation, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer, same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust TechHelpBoston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com.
2: Well, yeah, I can. It was terrible. (laughs) I wrote a science fiction story. I was a teenager. And for some reason, I sent it to Esquire magazine. I'd never read Esquire magazine, but I guess I'd seen it. I sent it there. It was really a terrible story. and, And a real person wrote me back a handwritten note. And said, when you stop fooling around with this kid stuff, send us another story. So that was so shocking to me that somebody would treat me like I was a writer. It was really kind of important. And I kept that note. I don't know where it is right now, but I have it somewhere.
1: I'm so glad I reminded you about that (laughs) note, right? Because I could tell the wheels were turning in your head. You were like, I did write a story before that one (laughs) when I was 21. You were born in New York City, raised Mm -hmm. on Long Island. Can you talk like you're from Long Island? Do you do that at all? (laughs) No. (laughs) Take us back to that time in your life. What was your childhood like?
2: You know, it was very unhappy, which is always good for a writer. You know, I was a fanatical reader. And really, I've asked girls that I know that I have grown up with, what was I like as a kid? And they said, you were always going to the library. You always had a book in your hand. And I think for a lot of people that Books really saved them growing up. And that really happened to me. And also the library, going to the library and my school librarian was amazing. And I just felt like I just learned about the world. And the world just got much bigger to me because of my reading.
1: Is that where the the genre, the escapism, the magic piece comes in for you?
2: Well, I think I grew up reading magic, reading fairy tales, reading magic. But Yeah. yeah, I think for me it was an escape. And writing is an escape too. And I think it is for so many people. You know, when I think about my own mother, she was really one of the, maybe the most important person in my life. She was not a typical mother. I don't know if she was a good mother, but she was a great friend. Growing up, she was really my best friend.
1: We now have The Rules of Magic, your latest book in our hands right now. What does it feel like to have someone hand you the book when you're done with it? Does it feel like giving birth to a child or
2: what? (laughs) It's kind of better because in some ways it's a lot less painful, but I love the object of a book. I mean, yes. i am I am not a big ebook reader. I have nothing against it. I think it's great if you're going on a plane or a trip. But I like the object. I like to hold a book in my hands. I like to take a book to bed. And so when you see your own book, when you first see it, it's a thrill, and it's just a great honor to have it.
1: I have a lightning round for you. Are you okay. ready? ok, hardest book you've ever
2: written. The one I'm doing now.
1: Your favorite character of any book you've ever written?
2: My favorite character is in my most recent book, The Rules of Magic, someone named Vincent Owens. He's my favorite character.
1: And you'll have to go get the book if you want to know about Vincent. (laughs) Fastest
2: book you ever wrote? Oh, gee, I think it was my first book. I wrote it in six months.
1: Book you love the most, feel the most connected to?
2: A book that I wrote after 9-11 called Green Angel that was really hard for me to write
1: book that you read that's not yours that sustains you somehow or made a real impression in your life?
2: Oh, anything by Ray Bradbury, especially Fahrenheit 451.
1: Practical Magic becomes a movie. How much of a role did you get to play in that whole process? Or do you have to sort of just give it away and let them do what they're going to do?
2: Well, I was a screenwriter for 25 years in Hollywood, but I did not write that movie. I just gave it to them. Sandra Bullock was really the driving force. She was the one that wanted to do the movie and she got it made and she was wonderful. I had a connection with the movie, but I didn't work on it it was kind of the best of all worlds.
1: Let's talk a little bit about being a screenwriter because yeah. I Alice, that's a different skill from writing a book.
2: Yeah. It is. Talk
1: to us about that.
2: Well, the thing about it is also is that when you write a book, you're really in control of everything. And when you're a screenwriter, you're really in control of nothing. So I did it for 25 years and it was great and it supported my books. And I worked with a lot of really interesting, wonderful people. But really nothing got made. There was so much politics and it's so expensive to make a film. And it's just a very different, different world. Everybody has a process. I'm going to tell you a few
1: people that I've interviewed. I want to share this with you. Because I think songwriting and book writing are kind of similar. I do, too. Sat down with James Taylor, and he said to me that he gets thoughts for songs, phrases that come to him. And he always keeps a little piece of paper and a pad, and he'll just jot down, you know, a phrase, Mm. and then he'll stick it in his pocket and long ago his wife realized to never throw away any pieces of paper found in James's <laughs> jeans pocket what what's your process like when you start to
2: write well it's different than that although I think it's very similar to writing a song in that when I'm on the computer I feel like I'm playing music that's the feeling I want to have it's not so much the words but it's the rhythm of it So my process changes all the time. So I can't say I have a definitive process, but I definitely make notes. I make notes about characters. I have big poster boards filled with information. Uh, You know, I wouldn't suggest my way of doing things to anyone else. I think everyone has to find their own way of creating. Stevie Nicks told
1: me that she still has an electric typewriter after all these years. And she takes the electric typewriter and she puts it on top of the piano and she starts to play, and then she types, and then she plays, and That then she makes types.
2: perfect sense. That's exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. The rhythm, right? Exactly. Yes. And actually, she did some of the music for Practical Magic, so I feel a kinship with her. Now doubled. Do you have a discipline where you go to your office and
1: you write every day? Because I'm going to guess it's it's hard work to be a writer, you know?
2: It is. I I mean, I have to say that I used to when I was starting out. I got up every morning at 4.45, and I wrote before I went to work or school or whatever I was doing. But now it's just so much part of my life, and I'm doing it whenever I'm not doing something else.
1: hundred years from now, a young girl is exploring books, and she comes upon the works of Alice Hoffman. What do you hope she learns from what you have written in your body of work?
2: I guess all I can hope for is that she would feel the same way that I did when I was in that library and found books that I loved, that it opened up the world.
1: If you could reach out, Alice, and offer a woman who's just heard the words, you have breast cancer, one piece mm-hmm. of advice, something you wish you knew when you started on that journey, what would it be?
2: Well, I think this is something that I did that a lot of women just kind of organically do is that I reached out to women who were survivors and to other people who are undergoing breast cancer treatment. I was in a group the whole time. That group lasted for 20 years. And I think it's really important to make contact with other women who are going through what you're going through. Success means
1: many things to many people. And I believe we have chapters in our lives. Where you are sitting right now with this beautiful book and this body of work and your health, which I'm so happy you have. What does success mean to
2: you? I think success means kind of finding your true self and finding your true path, which is hard to do and takes a lot of people a long time, maybe a lifetime. And I think maybe it's a lifelong thing that we have to do is that, you know, find out who we really are and what we want to be doing in this world and what we want to do for the world. I want to say
1: thank you so much for Telling your story today, being part of this special series on breast cancer survivors and people at the forefront of doing what they can in the fight against breast cancer. Alice Hoffman, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, candyoterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?